Well, good morning, everyone. Man, I'm so glad that you are here today. For those of you in our outdoor environment, good morning. For those of you watching at home, we know the vast majority of our church is still watching from their homes. Good morning. Um, We're glad that you're with us. But let me say a word to those of you who are in the room. I cannot tell you what it does for my heart for you to be at church today. Because it was a difficult week spiritually for me this week. Because when the mask mandate hit, man, the devil started jumping up and down on my heart. Um, and just say, Christian, um, no one is going to come to church in a mask. Um, this is American Christianity, and American Christians don't do anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or infringes on their personal rights. No one's coming to church in a mask. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. And I was so discouraged. Um, I, I wore that discouragement for about 24 hours until I went to bed, woke up the next day, and started calling some of our elders, started calling some of our small group leaders, started calling some of our small group coaches. So what, what do we do? Um, should we shut it down again? Is no one going to come to church? And all of them, all of them said some form of this. Christian, um, man, it might be awkward. Um, it may be absurd. But if the choices are come to church in a mask or don't come to church, I'm coming to church in a mask. That's just all there is to it. It's too important for us to be in church on Sunday morning. We spent 13 weeks at home. If we can come to church, we're going to be at church. And I can't tell you what what that did for my heart as a pastor to just kind of reignite my my vision, um, my passion for what God has called us to do as we kind of move through this community trying to see the kingdom of God come to Lee Summit um, like it is in heaven. Um, I, I want you to know, just so you know, um, I, like I would wear a hazmat suit to be here with you on Sunday morning doing church. And some of you are saying, Christian, that's easy for you to say, like you're the, you're the only one um, not in a mask right now. Here's what you need to understand. I was planning to preach in a mask this morning, and I will, if necessary, preach in a mask. We actually had our worship team on Wednesday night. They did their entire rehearsal singing through mask. They were not happy, but they were willing, if that's what it took, um, to do what they needed to do. Only one of the three singers said, if you make me sing in a mask, I'm leaving the church, but she lives with me. So I didn't take that threat um, very seriously. I thought, ah, she'll, she'll come back um, eventually. Um, but, I, but I want you to know, like, I, I would do anything to be with my spiritual family. There's a group of pastors who met with a group of attorneys late in the week who kind of talked to the Jackson County Health Department. And what they helped us understand is if you're doing anything with enough exertion long enough that would cause your mask to get wet and stay wet, you shouldn't wear it if you can be socially distanced from people. So if you're on the stage, probably okay. On the floor, you need to be in a mask. So that's where we are this week. But if they change it, I'll be back here in a mask next week um, because it's important for me to be with you on Sunday morning. Um, When my son's college, he has college orientation, freshman orientation in two weeks, told us that probably you're going to have to wear a mask to be with him for freshman orientation. We said, whatever it takes. Um, It's our first first kid going off to college. When they said, you're probably going to have to wear a mask in August to move him into the dorms. We said, like, whatever it takes. We're not going to not move our kid into the dorms, let him do it by himself because we have to wear a mask. When they said, um, if you come to football games this fall, you might have to wear a mask. I said, I'll sit in a bubble to watch my kid play college football. Like, like what, whatever it takes. Um, and when the government said, here's what we'd like you to do in order to be with your spiritual family, I, I said, whatever it takes, it's important for me to be with you. I've preached 13 weeks in a row in this auditorium with nobody in it. I'd rather be here in masks than doing that all over our community. So thank you. Um, thank you for your sacrifice, for your discomfort, for the awkwardness, maybe for 
the sheer absurdity of sitting in church in a mask. I am super, super grateful. We are on the other side of 2020 now. We've passed halftime, maybe. Hopefully, Lord willing, we're on the downhill side of 2020. Remember our July service times. We're calling them our new service times. They're really old service times because we didn't know what time to have service in the last few weeks. But we're back to 8, 9, 30, and 11. That's here in the main house. That's also online. We're hoping in August, maybe when we go back to school, to also be able to add Summit Lakes back to the mix. But right now, these are our summer service times. We're also adding back a really valuable ministry because so many of the people in our church who are not able to come right now say, Christian, we, we want a little more ministry. So we're beginning again tomorrow, daily prayer at noon. We did this every day from Easter through the end of May, where you can get on Facebook 10 to 12 minutes. One of our staff members, one of our elders, one of our interns, uh, one of our pastors will be on doing just a small devotion and it's in just having a little bit of prayer time. Um, so if you have the opportunity, if you're anywhere near a computer smartphone at noon, you can log on to our Facebook account and every day connect with one of our team members for prayer at noon. We would love to have you be a part of that. You heard Pastor Mike say we are in the summer of Psalms week four. Psalm 109 is where we're going to be today. You might want to open your Bible or turn on your smartphone so that you can fire that up. It's 31 verses. We're going to read a little bit. So this is a good day to have a paper Bible or your phone in your hand. Before you do that, let let me remind you, in our summer of serving, tremendous impacts being made. Um, this week's projects are full. This week, we're serving uh, meals at a ministry called Prodeo. They serve at-risk teenagers in our community. We're doing lunch Monday, Wednesday, dinner on Friday. All of those volunteer spots are taken. But probably the easiest, most impactful project of our summer is happening in two weeks. That's where you have the opportunity to go fill a backpack with school supplies, drop it off at church so we can distribute it to the schools in our area who have students who don't have school supplies. If you would text this number, Journey Serve, to 474747, you can go on the link, figure out what backpack sizes, what school supplies are needed. You have two weeks to go shopping, fill up those backpacks, drop them back off at church. One of our most impactful things we do in our community to serve our schools who are loving our kids so well as this. So we would love for you to help us serve if you get the opportunity to do that over the next two weeks. Uh, before we ever open God's word at our church, we ask God to open our hearts. So um, would you hear those of you outside, those of you at home, would you bow your heads with me? Would you take a deep breath if that's possible with the mask that, uh, that you're wearing today? And would you just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to your heart today? Speak to our hearts today, Lord. That's, that's our prayer. Show us how to get closer to Jesus in our own lives by mourning the evil and the brokenness that we see in the world around us. Teach us to see Jesus more clearly. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Hey, two goals today as we jump into Psalm 109. The first is this. I think this is a good goal in the summer of 2020, to learn how to mourn evil and pray for justice. How do you look at all the brokenness in the world and process it spiritually how do you pray that God will do something about it? That's what we're going to learn in Psalm 109. But here's what we're also going to learn. As we look at the big picture, here's how practically it's going to play in our lives. As we do, number one, we're also going to learn how to find spiritual comfort. We're going to learn how to find spiritual victory. And we're going to learn how to find spiritual nearness to Jesus in the midst of evil. So we're not so much praying that God will lift the evil of our world today as much as we're praying that right in the midst of it, Jesus will be very near to us in a way that makes a massive difference. Psalm 109 is where we're going to read that. You should follow along. It's, a, uh, it's an interesting one. Here's what it says. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. 
For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues, with words of hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I'm a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquities of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their name from the earth for he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse, may it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing, may it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. Little commercial here. Probably would be good to stay on David's good side, right? Like, holy cow, he is angry. Um, He's asked that God not only curse his enemies, but curse their children curse his dad, curse his granddad, curse his mom, curse his descendants, curse his friends. It's like, he's angry. He's angry in Psalm 109. Verse 21, but you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me for I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as a cloak with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord and the great throng of worshipers. I will praise him for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Journey, welcome to the imprecatory Psalms. You say, what is an imprecatory Psalms? It's a collection of Psalms, less than a dozen in the 150 Psalms in our Bible that call down curses, judgment, calamity, or evil upon the enemies of God in the psalmist world. An imprecatory psalm is someone asking God to curse or hurt someone who is cursing or hurting them. Today, we're calling imprecatory psalm part one. Next week, we'll be imprecatory psalm part two. The goal today is to see what we can learn about God and our relationship to Jesus through an imprecatory psalm. The question we ask next week is, should we still pray these? Like, do we... Like, should we, should Christians still ask God to cur- like curse their enemies with evil? This week, we see what we can learn spiritually. Next week, we see, should we still do this? But it's an interesting psalm with a lot of anger and a lot of emotion from David. But is it important? Sure, it is. Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher of the turn of the 1900 said, but what else can we make of such strong language speaking of Psalm 109? Truly, this is one of the hard places of scripture a passage which the soul trembles to read, yet as it is a psalm unto God and given by inspiration, it's not ours to sit in judgment upon it, 
but to bow our ear to what God the Lord would speak to us therein. So today we put our ear to Psalm 109 and we say, God, what do you want us to hear? What do you want us to see? What do you want us to learn? What do you want us to become because of this psalm? And we're going to learn two things. Number one, we're going to learn how to mourn evil. We're going to learn like David to look at brokenness in our world, to look at broken people maybe in our sphere, to look at things that are even causing us pain. And we're going to learn how to properly approach those spiritually. How are we going to do that? By remembering three things. Letter A, we're going to remember to pray. We're going to remember to pray. Every imprecatory psalm in the book of Psalms, except for Psalm 137, is a prayer, which means the only person that ever heard it was God. It was a, it was a complaint and contempt for evil, but nobody ever heard it but the person praying and God. Let me ask you a question. If every post on social media in our community this week would have been a prayer rather than a post. Do you think our community would look different? You think people in our community would look different? You think the culture of our community would feel different? If, it, if, if every post, if every complaint about everything going on in the world would have been a prayer first, half of them wouldn't have even then been posted because once you prayed them, literally the pressure would have been relieved for your shoulders and you would have thought, you know what, God's got this now. And you wouldn't have thought about it. Imagine if we would remember to pray first in the midst of brokenness. David opens this psalm with, dear God, it's a prayer. My God, my God, here is everything going wrong. But then he reminds himself very, very quickly in verse four, God, here's everything going wrong, but I'm a man of prayer. So I'm only going to talk to you about it. My God, here's everything that's happening evil in our world, but I'm a man of prayer, not just on Monday morning at 6 a.m., not just before I eat my food, not just at the end of the singing. Here's everything going wrong, but I'm a man of prayer. And I remember to pray. As we look at Psalm 109, we learn that prayer is the first step in mourning the broken world around us. Journey, can I ask you this? If you are a follower of Jesus, please don't post until you pray. Please don't post until you pray. It's the first step in realizing things are broken, turning them over to God. We remember to pray. And then let her be, we remember Jesus. Say, so how do you get Jesus out of Psalm 109 written by David a thousand years before Jesus? How do you, how you get Jesus? Watch this. Powerful. I was reading through Psalm 109, verse 8, and it was familiar to me. David prayed over his enemy, may his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. And when I read that in verse eight, may another take his place of leadership, I thought, I know that verse. I know that verse. I just don't remember it in the Psalms, but I know that verse. I know that verse. And I thought I know it because it was spoken about Judas. In Acts chapter one, when the apostle Peter and the disciples come back from the Mount of Olives and they say, okay, Jesus has ascended into heaven, but now it's time for us to get to work. They say, Judas is gone. Who's going to take his place? And Peter stood up in front of all of them. And he said, brothers, it's written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Psalm 109 is a picture of how a person can hurt a righteous person. But it is the ultimate picture of what Judas did to Jesus. Listen, I don't know the name of David's enemy in Psalm 109. And I don't know the name of the person 
who's been hurting you lately. I don't know the name of the person who's been causing you trouble. I don't know the name of the person who's been causing you heartache. But I know from Psalm 109, when I look at evil in the world, that if the most perfect man to ever live had someone in his life who would hurt him, I certainly am not above that either. The question, when I go through life and I am hurt by people, the question is, where is my focus going to be? Because when trouble comes, we have a choice. We can focus on Jesus or we can focus on Judas. Which one are you choosing to do? When trouble comes, we can focus on Jesus, who was hurt just like we've been hurt. Or we can focus on Judas and put all the attention on him. Jesus had a Judas, but he still fulfilled his mission. He still fulfilled his purpose. He still had impact in the world. And you may have your Judas, but if you will focus on Jesus, you can still fulfill your mission, fulfill your purpose. You can still have the impact that God has called you to. I talked to one of our members after the 8 a.m. service, and they said, from the age of 12 to the age of 59, I focused on my Judas rather than my Jesus, and it nearly destroyed me. It was my mother. And at age 59, I found Jesus, and a few years later, I was able to forgive my mother. When trouble comes, we have a choice. Focus on Jesus or focus on Judas. You say, I'm mourning the evil that has happened. We need to mourn the evil that happened to Jesus and then focus on how he can help us. So how do we mourn evil? We remember to pray. We remember Jesus. But then we remember, as we remember Jesus, we remember that God is in charge. We remember that God is in charge. I love what David does here because he does something that not, of, uh, not a lot of us are willing to do. David said, God, here's all the things that are going on, but I am a man of prayer. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to appoint someone. Now, he's a little angry, so he asked him to appoint someone evil. Um, I'm going to ask you to appoint someone to oppose my enemy. Here's what David said. God, somebody's got to do something about this but I am not the right person. My heart is not in the right place. You're going to hear later, he said, I'm deeply hurt right now. So God, I'm going to need you to do something about it. I'm going to have to trust that you're in charge. I'm, I'm going to release this. I'm going to release this. Somebody's got to make it right, but it's not me. I'm going to ask you to appoint someone else and I'm going to ask you to pay him your payment. Whatever you decide he or she or they need is good for me. I'm going to release it. I'm not going to follow up on it because I'm not the right person to do it. So I'm going to ask you to take care of this and whatever you decide is fine with me. I'm going to ask you to take care of it and whatever God you decide is going to be fine with me. Look what the psalmist did. Some of us need to learn this. He placed his problems and his problem causer in God's hands and said, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to deal with this because I'm not the right person in the right time. I'm not in the right mindset. I'm not in the right mind frame. And what's interesting is this is not unique to Psalm 109. As a matter of fact, this is the cry of the entire book of Psalms that sin and wickedness would be punished. I mean, that's the whole theme of the book, that surely, surely God 
blesses people who live the right way and ultimately those who live the wrong way are gonna be cursed. Like, please God, tell me that's the way that it happens. Psalm 1 that we kind of read as a, as a theme of the entire book closed with this. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. All of us hope that that is true. We hope that God really will one day see evil, judge evil, eliminate evil. We really want that. And in Psalm 109, David's saying, I'm counting on that, God, that you see it and that you're going to do something about it. And here's what you know, you need to know as we study just through scripture, what you and I need to understand from this cry of David, from this theme of Psalms, is that every sin that has ever been committed, every sin that is being committed right now, every sin that will ever be committed is going to be punished by God in one of two ways. Psalm 1-6 is correct. Wickedness is going to be judged. Psalm 109-20 is going to happen. God's going to repay people who do evil. Every sin that's ever been committed, every sin that's being committed, every sin that will be committed is going to be punished by God in one of two ways. The first is the cross of Jesus. The first is the cross of Jesus, which means as followers of Jesus who have had our sin punished this way, there should be a heaviness and a humility. Even when we ask God to judge the sin and the evil in our world, we should do it knowing that if he does it the way he wants to, he's gonna have to inflict it all on Jesus. Every time we ask God, judge the sin of the world, we're saying drive that nail a little deeper into his hand because God's plan to judge sin is on the cross, but not everyone will give their sin to Jesus and say, judge my sin in him. But that sin will still be judged too. You say, where? At the great white throne of eternal judgment. Jesus had a disciple named John, one of his best friends in ministry, who was given a a vision of the end of the world so that he might prepare those of us who follow Jesus for the end of the world. And he talked about the judgment that occurred at the end of the world. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from the presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The book of life held the names of all those whose sin was punished on the cross, those who follow Jesus. The other books held the names of those whose sin would be punished in a place of eternal separation from God that we call hell. And you have to understand, everyone who will have their sin punished in hell has chosen to say, punish me instead of him. Christianity is saying, my sin has to be punished in one of two ways. I want it to be punished on the cross, not in a place of eternal separation from God. But as a Christian, you need to know God is in charge. And he's going to punish every act of evil that ever happens on earth. That's why the apostle Paul tells us, when you understand all this, you can relax. So don't don't take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath because it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Sin will either be judged on the cross or one day in an eternity separated from me, but I'm gonna take care of it, says the Lord. On the contrary, now that you know this, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What are we trying to learn? How to, we're trying to learn how to mourn evil without being overcome by evil. How do we do that? We've got to remember to pray. Pray first. Journey, please pray before you post this week. Hey, maybe like the rest of your life. That might change the dynamic of our world. Pray before you post. Remember Jesus. 
Man, don't know Judas better than Jesus. Remember Jesus. And then remember God's in charge and he's gonna take care of things. Hopefully on the cross of Jesus. But if not in an eternity separated from him, he's gonna take care of things. Don't be overcome by evil. Learn how to mourn it, but learn how to overcome it with good. But then there's a second part to Psalm 109 because you say, okay, Christian, great, like great theology lesson. But what if I've been personally hurt? What if I've been personally impacted? Like what you just taught me doesn't make me feel better. How do I feel better? How do I respond to evil's personal impact on me? Three ways. Number one, in prayer, you have to acknowledge that there's a need. You got to say to God what maybe you've not even been willing to admit to yourself. I love the vulnerability of David in Psalm 109 because he says this. At the very end of his psalm, when he says, God, I'm going to put it in your hands and Here's some ideas for you to crush my enemy, but ultimately it's in, it's in your hands. He said, as for me, I'm poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. When is the last time you got vulnerable enough before God to say, God, they hurt my feelings. They hurt my heart. The things they said, the things they didn't say, the way they overlooked me, the way they treated me, They left my small group. They came to like, God, my feelings have been hurt. You say, I've been hurt. How are you going to help me, Christian? You got to be honest enough with God to say, they hurt my heart. They hurt my heart. My feelings, my feelings are hurt. Because of that, I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gone. Hey, how about this? God, they hurt my heart so much that like I'm physically suffering. Like they hurt my feelings so bad that I can't sleep. They, they, have you ever had your heart hurt so bad that, you, that like you, you lose your appetite? God, they hurt my heart so bad that it's impacting me physically. I gained a hundred pounds because of how someone wounded my heart. Physically, physically, it's killing me. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. I'm separated from all my friends. When I look at my friends, it feels like they're all doing this. I don't know that they are, but that's what it feels like. Because my feelings are hurt and because I'm tired and worn out, it just seems like everyone is now against me. Help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. This Hebrew word for unfailing love we talked about a few weeks ago. It's the word chesed. God, my heart is broken. I'm physically suffering. I feel like I'm all alone. You see, I've been personally hurt by evil. Tell God, but get really, really vulnerable. He will answer that type of prayer. After you do that, in prayer, acknowledge your need, but in public, declare God's greatness. I find this fascinating in David's psalm that David said, God, when it's between me and you, here's what's happening. But when I get with other people, God, with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I'm gonna praise you. God, in my private prayer closet, you and I are gonna get really honest with each other. But man, when I get back out in the world, I'm gonna tell people how great you are. You say, how powerful is this? In the book of Revelation, we learn how Satan, the devil, is ultimately defeated. And in Revelation chapter 12, John says, 
the church eventually triumphed over Satan by the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus on the cross, and by the word of their testimony, Satan is defeated by what Jesus did and how people talk about what Jesus did for them. Those two things, powerful one-two combo. And unfortunately for us, we sometimes get it the other way. Unfortunately for us, we praise God on Sunday and then tell the world our problems Monday through Saturday. So the only people who knows what we think about God are people who believe the exact same thing. And what we're learning in Psalm 109 is the reverse. Hey, when you're alone with God, man, get really honest and vulnerable. But then when you go talk to the world, you tell them how great your God is. We could say it this way maybe, tell God your problems, but tell the world your praises. Switch them. Switch them. Why doesn't the world think more of our God? Because all they hear are our complaints about what he's not doing. So when we come here, let's get honest about what we need from God. But when we go out, let's praise him in the throng of the assemblies and in the worship of who God is. You say, how do I, how do I overcome evil's impact on me? Well, in prayer, you acknowledge your need. In public, you declare God's greatness. But at all times, you remember God's nearness. I love how David ends this psalm. After pouring out his heart to God and telling God the help that he needed, he closed this psalm by saying, at the end of the day, he stands at the right hand of the needy. He said, God, in the midst of evil and brokenness, here's what I'm reminded of. That in a broken world, you are right beside me. Watch this, if I am right beside you. In a hurting and broken world, God, you are right beside me if I am right beside you. Folks, some of you need to get back to reading your Bible every day because you're, you're not walking right beside Jesus. You say, he's not at my right hand. He's not the one who's moved. Some of you need to get back to praying every day. Some of you who are watching, there are some of you with massively valid reasons to stay at home right now and watch through this season of COVID-19. There are others of you who've just gotten more comfortable in your pajamas. You gotta get back to church. It's time to get back to spiritual community. Jesus is right beside those who are right beside him. So get in the word. Get on your knees and pray. Get back engaged in spiritual community. Begin to spend some time in meditation and in worship and in thinking through what God is doing. Because David said at the end of the day, he stands at the right hand of the needy in a broken world. God is right beside you if you will walk beside him but you got to walk. As we close today, two questions. Your sin, is it going to be judged on the cross? Or is it going to be judged on your back one day in an eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible refers to as hell? Only you can make that decision, but it is yours to make. Those of you who have been wounded, Judas or Jesus, where's your focus? When you think about the hurt, Judas or Jesus because if we'll focus on Jesus even with the Judas in our life his mission, his purpose, his impact will still be there but again, you got to divert your eyes would you pray with me as we consider these things every head is bowed and every eye is closed but hearts are open today if you're here if you're outside, if you're watching at home, if you're not walking close to Jesus today 
because you've never come into a relationship with him, all you need to do is admit that, believe that he's invited you into a personal relationship with the God of the universe and then commit to surrender your life and the leadership of your life to his spirit and his direction. Today can be the day to open your heart and life to Jesus if you've never done that. You say, how do I do that? Just tell Jesus you need him. From your heart to heaven, you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to pray the words of my prayer, but let your soul communicate something like this to heaven. Jesus, I need you. You can repeat it after me. You don't have to pray it out loud from your heart. Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. I surrender my life to your leadership. Come into my heart and life and lead me. I commit to follow you. Become my spiritual father and leader today. If you're here and you just prayed that verse, even if you're someplace else and you prayed that verse and uh, prayed that prayer with me, we're gonna give you an opportunity to tell us so we can give you a gift celebrate with you, help you in your next steps. But as we finish this prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me talk to the Christians in the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not beside Jesus in a broken world, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not beside Jesus in a broken world, it's not because your seat's been taken. It's because it's been vacated. Come back to it. Recommit your heart. Recommit your soul. Recommit your life. Recommit your daily priorities to him. Re-engage to walk beside your Savior. If you're living through a time of pain, if you've been hurt, we can focus on Jesus or Judas. Who has captured your heart in this season? Folks, I beg of you, give your Judas to God. He will handle him or her. Return your focus to Jesus. He will heal you. But you got to admit your needs in prayer. Declare his greatness in public. And don't forget his offer of nearness in your life. God, today we claim these things. We pray you'll help us remember these things. And we ask them all today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Hey,